Verinald had no sword, no knife, no poison, and no noose. He was chained to tent pegs by wrists and ankles, which ruled out breaking his own neck. He had a bowl of soup, tin, not glass, and he had a spoon. The spoon was his best chance. But before he could work up the nerve to use it, the tent flap rustled. Verinald relaxed his grip and focused on his soup. He was calm. He was rational. There was no reason to take the spoon from him. Then a voice spoke. Let him sit up, it said. Verinald was not an easily flustered man. He had trained to maintain his composure since he was old enough to talk. He had kept a straight face while in fear for his own life, while lying to generals and kings, and while watching men die. But as he heard that voice, as two Huckton soldiers loosened and extended the chains on his wrists and raised him to a kneeling position, he trembled with a mixture of grief and rage that was beyond his control. It's good to see you alive, old friend, the voice said. Verinald forced himself to raise his gaze, to meet the eyes that belonged to the voice. The trembling would not stop. Risera, he said. I know you want to condemn me for my betrayal, Risera said. I know you're itching to rail against me, to try and make me grieve for what is lost. Believe me, I grieve already. But I have made my choice, and your judgment is the least of my concerns. So let's skip the shouting and weeping, and get on to the reason you're still alive. Verinald knew the reason he was still alive. His only consolation was that they could torture him until their knives grew dull, and he would not tell them anything. Not because he was strong, but because there was nothing to tell. Everyone else was already dead. Certainly, Verinald found himself saying, with a voice that was saner than he felt, Don't let me inconvenience you. I know how busy you are with treachery and faithlessness. Rissera sighed. Or you could replace the shouting and weeping with sarcastic jibes, he said. Then, to the Huckton soldiers, Leave us, please. The two soldiers obeyed, chain mail glistening on torchlight as they ducked out of the tent. Rissera squatted on his hams so that his eyes were level with Verinald's. He was close, well within reach, and Verinald still had his spoon. This, more than anything, was a measure of Rissera's contempt for him. Verinald might be Rissera's peer in subterfuge and espionage, but in combat he was no better than a common soldier. Even if the spoon in Verinald's hand had been a sword, he would have been no threat to Rissera. Stop measuring us against one another, Rissera said. You have done nothing else your entire life. Focus, just for this moment, on the task at hand. Verinald's hand shook on the spoon, and he could not stop it. I have your son, Rissera said. Just like that. Rissera's abruptness should have shocked Verinald into showing some emotion, into betraying something, but this deception was so practiced, so ingrained, that Verinald actually managed to raise his eyebrows in confusion. My son? he said. I have no son. You have a son, and you know of him, Rissera said. 
your face has suddenly gone smooth. How many times did we learn that lack of emotion can be just as telling as emotion itself? How old were we when they taught us that? Ten? Who is measuring us against one another now? said Verinald. You're right, said Rissera. The task at hand. Your task, if you care for your son. I have no son, Verinald said. You have a son, Rissera repeated. I sent for him as soon as Eorden fell. His Huckton mother gave him up without a fight when she learned that you were dead. Verinald's spoon began trembling again. Rissera smiled. And you criticize my faithlessness. The faithlessness of loving a Huckton woman is not the faithlessness of handing your nation over to the Huckton army. The task at hand, Rissera said, the point of this meeting is that you, too, will hand people over to the Huckton army.